everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 133, your weekly podcast covering everything Magic the Gathering related. You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, mtggoldfish.com, and now on YouTube. Joining us, as always, the crew, Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. What is up, Richard? Hey, guys. What's going on? Good to have you, Richard. Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, our resident jank brewer and all-around content creator. What is up, Seth? What's going on, guys? What's up? We're we're recovering. We made it. <laughs> the, oh, the crazy man. Time long zones. weekend, long weekend. Yes. Uh, Chaz, as always, not RoboCop this time. I think we we figured it out. Thank you, everyone, for making light of that. And it was actually really fun. Uh, the listeners are fantastic and uh, really appreciate just everyone just taking it in a stride and making light of the situation. Uh, I appreciate that. Really do. Um, on the docket for today... Pro Tour, Hour of Devastation is in the books. We will discuss everything related, uh, just kind of recap, get our thoughts on it, where is Standard going from here, and we have a rotation right around the corner, so a lot to talk about there. Um, It was revealed to us the Hascon promos. We will go through each one of those, followed up by uh, we have a semi-leak. It was in a Japanese magazine that we were, it was revealed the last commander product uh is grixis wizards uh and they went through and kind of listed all the the colors of each one of the precons. so we'll discuss that and then a boat mo- boatload rather of fish mail so lots of fish mail to get through we will we'll get through it uh so pro tour hour of devastation richard what'd you think i think it was actually one of the most entertaining pro tours we've seen in a while uh ramunap red kind of ran all over the tournament and despite being six of the eight decks, uh, you know, five pure red decks and one splashing black, it was one of the best top eights I've seen in a while. So all around, it was a great pro tour. Metagame, we didn't really get too many surprises, but it was still solid. And Hazaret, the pervert, is here in standard. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't see any masterpieces on camera, but Hazaret was everywhere. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how the metagame adjusts after the pro tour. But overall, I think this was one of the more enjoyable Pro Tours I've seen in a while, despite having to pull all-nighters the entire weekend to watch it. Well said. Seth, fellow East Coaster, what did you think, <laughs> uh, uh, despite the time zones, which Richard's absolutely right? Yeah, I mean, time zone, obviously rough, but can't complain too hard because we're going to have a lot of good-for-us time zones coming up. Uh, as far as the tournament, if you had told me heading into the tournament that it was going to be six red deck wins decks in the top eight, I probably would have been like, eh, but it was actually super entertaining. The entire tournament was just... It was a really entertaining pro tour. The metagame, even though there was a lot of mono red decks, it felt fairly healthy, especially compared to uh, Aetherworks Marvels and Felidaire Guardians and some of the stuff we have been dealing with. And even though there weren't a ton of really spicy, crazy new decks, it felt like there was a lot of viable decks. And for some reason, I learned that mono red mirrors are actually super interesting and entertaining to watch because the top eight was maybe my favorite pro tour top eight i've ever watched just as far as entertainment level it it had everything it had comebacks it had amazing over the top punts that i've never seen before i think every single match in the top eight went to the full five games it's like it was like the dream top eight so i was very happy overall yeah absolutely the storylines of pro tour hour of devastation were fantastic i thought the coverage was superb we had a great sense of place all the in-between rounds, um, just the coverage with the teams. 
I thought it was all very well done. And yeah, just to echo what Seth said, this had to be one of the most action-packed top eights you could ask for, uh, especially in standard with everything that has been going on. I think it was a great relief that we can just all watch the top eight. It was super action-packed. Yes, there was six uh, Ramonet red decks, but uh, who would have thought, Seth? Red red decks uh, and red mirrors are actually really entertaining. And yeah, it was just a roller coaster of emotions. Punts, we had comebacks. Every game was just on the line, um, and it was just really fantastic. Um, I was happy to see... Even though, I mean, there was a lot of red that showed up at the tournament, it, it still feels like some of these lists can still be uh, fine-tuned uh, to kind of combat this archetype a little bit better. And there was a lot of options. I mean, some of them didn't have great conversion rates. And again, the story, the huge uh, overarching storyline was red. But um, it's like you said, Seth, there was like f at least four very viable archetypes that we will probably see going forward. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, there does seem to be a lot of viable archetypes. The one thing that was kind of a surprise on the other end is that all the blue-white decks fell flat. Like, heading into the tournament, we kept hearing God Pharaoh's Gift is going to be, like, the breakout deck. We have the Monument deck that had been doing really well on the SCG Tour, and... Those decks, I don't think they were on camera once. They didn't have good numbers. So that was a big surprise to me on the other end that those decks were just apparently not very good. Yeah, it turns out a Braid is a very good card. It was in 60% of the decks of the 6 plus win decks. And that pretty much answers why Monument fell flat. Like your 7 mana artifact looks embarrassing when it's destroyed by a 2 mana utility spell, which can also kill creatures. So I think a braid had, you know, a crazy impact on the metagame, and it was I think it was one of the key cards to push red uh, into viable. It it actually has game against uh, artifact based decks, and on top of you know the lands and the hazaret, uh, just the braid kind of just rounds it out and prevents these weird combo decks from uh, taking over. Yeah, absolutely. Red just has so many great tools. It's so great. Yes, finally. We get to see Red just make a comeback. It's almost there. It's like, you know, it's I'll, I'll take Hazard as the Hellrider replacement. It's fine. Hazard's great. And it's just it's just watching in a very aggressive list again. And it's, it's what Standard needed to kind of keep this format honest for a long time. It was just not apparent at all. And Red... Whether people like it or not, and I and I get it, there's some feel-bads where red curves out and there's not much you can do. But, again, it's just it's good and healthy for the format for aggressive lists to exist, especially red. Because not only is it kind of friendly for, for people um, to pick up for usually very uh, a lot less than the kind of the marquee decks, it's a great learning curve. And, you know, people can pick it up. Um, obviously, it takes a while to master but it's just great on a, a whole bunch of different levels. And it just keeps all those, like like Richard said, all those crazy combo decks. It has all these tools. It can keep a lot of things in check. And uh, finally, it's there. I give it three weeks before people start complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I, it is red the new green because we've seen... <laughs> We've seen the red deck outpace control decks with card draw. You know, I think we saw like a seven card Beaumont carrier, uh, courier uh, cracked this weekend. It has under-costed fatties, you know, like Hazaret coming in 
as a 5-4 indestructible. It has late game now with your eternalized Earthshaker Kendras, all your lands deal damage, so any mountain you draw can be used to activate Ramunap Ruins. So basically you have no bad top decks. So it's a really strong deck. So I, I expect the novelty of it to wear off quickly. You know, when we first saw an Etherworks Marvel deck, we're like, wow, what a cool deck, right? Using this new mechanic, using energy, cheating Ulamog into play. And then very quickly, people got sick of it. <laughs> so I'm curious as to, you know, the the reception of this deck, especially given kind of the stigma of, you know, red decks are easy to play and, you know, red decks are for beginners, which I totally disagree with, but... You know, when people say, oh, you know, nice deck, haha, GG, in a fascist <laughs> way, you know, now it's going to just happen some more. So I'm curious, <laughs> but I like the deck. It's really strong. And it, it seems, it's like, it's not obvious how to, to hit it. Like, I guess zombies is the answer. Just be more resilient, have blockers. Uh, but it, it seems like a solid deck going forward. I think I'm excited because I think we might be back to the natural, healthy ebb and flow of standard. Like, from the Pro Tour conversations and what was kind of being uh, bantied about by the commentators, they felt that the red deck uh, is very good, but that it gets beat normally by the green-black constrictor decks and by the zombies decks. Like, those decks have a fairly good matchup. And if that's really the case... We might be back to the point where red's really good, zombies and green-black rise up to kind of fight red, and if zombies and green-black get really good, that's when probably a control deck can come in and go over the top of those decks and beat those decks, and then mono-red will suddenly be good again because it gets in under the control decks, and that's traditionally kind of like the flow that you want to a healthy standard format. We just we haven't had that because we haven't had the answers, and we've had certain decks that have been so far over the top that they're there, there wasn't really a way to beat them, but I think we might be to that point now where we're going to actually see the kind of up and down ebb and flow that we're looking for with the different archetypes, so at least over the rest of the summer heading into Ixalan. So let's talk about the top eight and our eventual winner, Paulo Vitor Damodarosa from Brazil starts off the top eight with three consecutive models to five. <laughs> three! And... The fact that he came back to win was just mind-blowing. Like, I would have just cracked right there. I would have been like, why Why did I just play, like, 15 hours of Magic to mull the five, <laughs> like, three rounds in a row? But he, he stuck it in there, and one of the greatest comebacks, I think, Aether Sphere Harvester did so much work, and just mulling the five three times in a row and having the discipline to actually do that, I think I would have, like, on the third mull... Just say, I'm going with the six and hope I top deck something good because, oh, like, how much bad luck can you have? That's what that's what separates uh, Paulo as a Hoffer and just and us. You know, it's that mental fortitude. I have to say, I probably would have cracked, too. It's very tilting. You know, it, once, obviously, it happens, but it just kind of felt like variance was just not... <laughs> it was just getting in the way of Paulo's... Getting in Paulo's way and... Just fought back, like you said, Richard. I mean, Aether Sphere Harvester can seriously do some crazy work if it can't be dealt with, especially in a mirror match. I mean, it was a roller coaster ride to watch, but I can't even imagine how it was for PV. Just not only did he get incredibly unlucky with the Mulligans to start off the first round of the top eight. But then he got incredibly lucky. He was dead on board to his opponent, and his opponent 
pulled out an all-time punt to somehow lose a game where Paulo was dead. And that got him to the finals, which he ended up winning, and now he's player of the year because of that. So there was, like, a lot riding on this top eight. So I couldn't imagine what it was like for him, his perspective to be insanely unlucky but manage to fight through it and then get insanely lucky because of a mistake his opponent made and end up winning the tournament. Yeah, so if you missed it, it was the semis. It was Wing Chun Yam. He had a Hazaret, he had a burn spell, and he needed to top deck another burn spell, and that would leave Paulo dead. So he top decks it, sees the burn spell, you know, gets hyped up, the crowd is cheering, Paulo can actually hear the crowd, <laughs> and he's just like such in a rush, he goes to his attack step, but he can't attack because he has two cards in hand. <laughs> and so he can't win the game there, and then Paulo on the next turn cracks back and wins. And that was just the most heartbreaking punt, uh, like, I've seen in my life. Like, you can see him trying to, like, get his composure back. But, you know, he's, like, so, like, amped up. And he's, like, trying to desperately salvage a situation. And he can't do it. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, it, yeah, it you're was playing, like, one of the best modern players of all time. You, you get the top deck you need. And then you basically punt it by, like, F2-ing, right? Like, we've all done a moto. We've accidentally... <laughs> You know, gone to our attack phase when we didn't want to, and it was just a mechanical punt. And oh my god, I can't, I can't imagine what he's feeling. <laughs> it, it was this. It was just heartbreaking. And poor Wing Chun Yam. He 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 really did take it very well. And this is where I mean, even the coverage. Uh, Rich Hagen had a statement, and this is kind of where these statements and this community, you know, this commentary and the coverage. I mean, it's those kind of statements that really invigorate the community, and it's it's okay, right? Like it's it happens, it really does suck, and it was heartbreaking. It's one of probably will go down as one of the worst punts, but it's okay, and it's it's part of magic. It's part of the you know the emotion and the people part of this game, and it just really because it was a fascinating storyline. It was this kind of the underdog right like he, he barely squeaked into the top eight um and playing a very well-renowned player hall of famer and it and it's just you saw it and there's like no rhyme or reason for it because you're it's a mirror there's really no reason not to just he, it just kind of got away from him the excitement and he knew it immediately and that's kind of what got me is he knew it immediately after he let go of the hazard. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> He's the, like, no. The irony was he was slow rolling like every draw, right? Like every draw yeah. he would like take it slow, peek the card, like, you know, as if it's like some crazy top deck. But then for the one time it mattered, like he didn't do it. He just like excitedly went to attacks and like, lost. It's Oh, there was, oh. and I, and I rewatched the video over and over and over again. And listen, it's, it's this or nothing. Whatever Paulo does, you just have to kind of accept. There was no reason not to burn, use your burn spells on the on the main phase. <laughs> there was no reason not to do it. I, and I get it, it's like natural instinct to get your attacks in and then do and then play your spells. But Hazaret, I mean, uh, Moto popped up and it was you know the the confirmation box. You don't get to attack, and it's happened to me a million times. And ah. Uh, I- I mean, the good news is, I think this was one of Yam's first pro tours. Yes. He's hasn't. He's not like a pro tour regular, so 
yeah, the punt is a big moment and it'll be remembered, but he really deserves congratulations for top fouring so early in his professional magic career. So it's really a great finish for him, even with the punt. So, I mean, yes, I mean, I'm sure it'd be great to win or make it to the finals, but you can't really be disappointed that you're in the top four of a pro tour, even with the loss there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, huge congrats to everyone. It was, again, a really great pro tour and top eight, especially the top eight. It was action-packed, again, emotional roller coaster, and huge congrats, even with the punt. I, I definitely agree, Seth. Um, you have to be proud of of kind of your finish for your, yeah, I believe it was his first pro tour. So Yeah, and you guys mentioned this. Mono red mirrors, surprisingly entertaining. Like, Bant Coco mirrors, not so much, right? <laughs> like... <laughs> When you have aggressive decks that cannot block, the game progresses every turn. Whereas when we have like these Abzan Coco decks, Bant Coco decks, you just kind of stall out and nothing happens. Or, you know, control decks, nothing happens for 20 minutes, 25 minutes in a game, and then everything happens. But for the first 25 minutes, it's super boring. Whereas the red decks, important decisions are happening every turn. Every point of damage matters. And, you know, the matches go by relatively quickly. There's progress being made. There's no stalling. So a a very entertaining top eight, despite it being all mirrors. And they ended up being really complicated. They seem like they're actually super challenging to play, which, I mean, uh, Paulo is so good. I think there's a real argument now that he might be the second best player of all time behind Finkel like his resume is as good as it gets but he's very good at magic so I'm sure that's an advantage for him but there were so many interesting points where not only are you thinking like how can I kill my opponent what outs do I have to draw if I make this attack to win the game this turn or next turn but you're also having to calculate based on like my opponent's board what can they draw on the crackback so it it was a it was seemed like very complex magic going on which is completely against the perception a lot of people have of red decks that they're just like so simple and so easy and you just smash all your stuff in there so I think that was the other takeaway that if if that's your thinking of red decks uh, it's definitely not the case because it was some really high level magic that was being played in those mirror matches so what do you guys think of Paul Chion in coverage so he was a new addition for this pro tour to the coverage team fantastic uh, I I really loved it I loved the Really, the deck text, even with uh, LSV, I love the commentary at the end with the card of the day. And and Paul just, Chion just really kind of brought a different mechanic, and or just kind of a different perspective and, and kind of, I don't know, energy to the coverage that really was kind of lacking, and I really enjoyed it. I thought Paul was great, too. I thought uh, Riley has a tendency to go a little too over the top for me, but I thought Paul was a great addition. I was uh, very impressed by coverage overall. Like It yeah. wasn't noticeably different than last Pro Tour, but you could see some of the little things. It was a little bit tighter. They had a few more slides, so it wasn't as repetitive between rounds. Uh, we saw some of Japan, so it felt like they are taking small steps forward to continue to improve, but I thought Paul was one of the big new additions to the coverage this time around and very good. Yep, being a streamer pays off. You know, his on-screen personality was great. His delivery, his presence, everything was great. And he brought, you know, LSV-level insight to the matches. So basically, we have, you know, high-level commentary available for every single match now. 
So I felt, you know, it's a great addition to the team. And I think this is the best coverage uh, in terms of commentary that we've seen, you know, thus far. So I hope he stays on the team and I look forward to another pro tour with him. Well, he, he might have to replace LSV because that might, was one yeah. of the big pieces yeah, of news to come out is that LSV is coming back as a professional player rather than a commentator. So Yeah, he saw Paulo and he's like, oh, you're, you're surpassing me. <laughs> I, I got I to gotta rack up some more top eights. <laughs> I hope they replace LSV with another pro. Like, I hope Paul Chion was not LSV's future replacement, but, you know, in addition to the team so that LSV is actually getting another replacement. So we actually have you know, a pro uh, commentating in every match. Let's play a fun game then. Uh, Wizards is willing to throw a bunch of money at a pro. Do the same thing they did with LSV. Take a year off, come commentate for us. You can keep your pro level when you come back. Who do you pick? Reed Duke. Or, or Huey Jensen. Yep. I, I, yeah, would, I, think, I would pick Huey Jensen or Reed Duke. As a very problem is I don't think any of these guys would go. But, oh, yeah. I mean, again, hypothetical. I, I, I think the coverage they've done when they've done it has been pretty good. Yeah, and I I can't think I can't remember what GP it was, but um, Marshall Sutcliffe and Huey were a pair, you know, uh, kind of a commentating pair for a few GPs. I think I can't remember if it was last year or earlier this year. Yeah, Huey did some of the Channel Fireball GPs. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't remember the specific ones, but yeah, he's done a few of them now. And with they Marshall. were really they they were really great together. They had great chemistry, so I, I would like to see that on on the biggest stage on a pro tour as well. Yeah, I think those are great choices. I was going to say Reed Duke as well. I know he's very popular and he's extremely insightful when it comes to doing commentary. So. I think that would be a good choice. Waiting for the Duke Brothers commentary duel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that would be pretty awesome, too. Um, really quick, where do you see, I mean, before we get into the rest here, just really quickly, do you see, like, standard shifting much before October or are the sites on October? I think, I mean, for a lot of people, can't wait for Ixalan. It seems awesome. Again, not going to discuss any leaks, but... Do you see, I mean, because red is, again, an aggressive list. There are ways around it, especially in this card pool. What do you think could could come of it? Uh, like I said I earlier. We'll see a lot more zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be the ebb and flow thing. I would be surprised if we see many completely unknown decks pop up before rotation. But I think we'll see the decks that we know of, including some of the blue-white decks that were kind of held down at the Pro Tour, uh, Constrictor decks, Zombies decks, Vehicles decks, I think those will be kind of going back and forth over the next couple months. But I don't think we'll see anything way outside the box until rotation. Yeah, me too. It was a shame that the God Pharaoh's gift list really didn't show up. We didn't see it on camera, and they just did not do very well. Hopefully that changes. Um, and we'll talk about this next week, Seth, but... Uh, even if any deck does pop up, we won't be able to see them on Moto, will we? <laughs> <laughs> no, not as often as we'd like. Oh, yeah. one last one last Pro Tour thing I got to ask you guys. So the numbers from, I was kind of watching on the viewership numbers, were like, I, I think about half of what they were for Pro Tour Amincat. So what's your take on that? Is that just the time zone thing? Like, is that making that big of an impact? And if it is a time zone thing, like, how much does Twitch views matter? We've heard Wizard CEO or Hasbro CEO going on Mad Money and talking about how many Twitch views they get and using that as a big, like, selling point for digital magic. Like, is that something that could 
change where they hold pro tours if that's part of the problem so just what's your take on the low viewership numbers i would hope it doesn't change it drastically because i mean magic is a global game and it it does help that it's in other you know parts of the world i do think that the biggest problem was the time zone though i i just don't think there's any way around it um and, and i know a lot of folks yes it's not catered to all the the players in the United States, but I mean, even for other players, it was just a really rough time zone, and that, and to me, that had to be the biggest part of it. And in terms of the numbers thing, I don't think the dip was. I mean, yeah, it's drastic, but it, I don't think it was big enough to not warrant having it any place else anymore. Yeah, I think it was a big deal. I think. I, I remember checking with Seth. I'm like, are these numbers correct? How come these viewership numbers look so low? Is it like, it, it looks like just like a random stream. Like a, I'm pretty sure if you opened up a random League of Legends stream at that time, it, it would have exceeded the Pro Tour numbers. And I don't know what you can do about it. It is a global game. If you want to hold your event in Honolulu, Japan, whatever, you're going to have weird timing issues. And if you're trying to grow your viewership numbers, I don't... I don't know you can do it. And my my solution has always been to make the pro circuit in one place. If you just made a permanent studio, say, uh, in Renton, uh, you know, near Seattle, where Wizards headquarters is, you don't need to ship your equipment across the globe, every pro tour, every Grand Prix. You know, your, your pros don't have to travel all over the place. You don't have to pay them thousands of dollars in airfare, right? You can just rent a magic house permanently in Seattle and, you know... Put all your pros there. They play on the circuit and whatever. And uh, that's that's how like League of Legends does it. And that keeps costs down a lot. And, you know, when you are the NFL, you know, when you're making multi-millions and billions of dollars, then you can start traveling around the world and shipping your equipment. So I, I think choosing one location uh, will do it. And as far as the international viewership, I don't know how to do it. Most leagues are not international. Most leagues are split up. You know, you have a European league, you have a North American league, and, you know, once a year, they converge somewhere and play. So, you know, maybe that's the approach we do. You know, you have a European circuit, a, you know, Asia Pacific circuit or whatever, and a North American Pacific, uh, North American circuit. And you can keep time zones in check there and have pros not travel all over the world. Uh, but of course, the tagline for the pro tour is travel the world and play magic. So you kind of kill that. So I don't know, but the viewership numbers are bad. And I think if you're trying to grow it as an eSport, like that's, that's really bad. You can't say like, oh, random League of Legends streamer, you know, streaming, you know, ad hocly in the middle of the night gets 2x your premier event of the year. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you, like that's just not legitimate, right? You got to fix that. I do think, though, the solution that you laid out, I mean, it, you're absolutely right. It is done that way in basically every other kind of eSport out there that there's all these different circuits and then they kind of converge one time. Uh, I believe it's, I mean, now don't quote me, I, I believe it's the LCS for League of, League of Legends, right? Yeah, there's there's NALCS, which is the North okay. American League, EU LCS, and then actually twice a year at Worlds and Midsummer okay, Invitational, they all the regions play each other to determine which which is the best region. But within a season, you're playing, you know, I think, I don't know weeks it is, like 12 weeks or whatever. You're playing against right. only teams in your region, and there's no travel. You just go to the studio, play, go home. 
Yeah, that that seems much more feasible. And you know, you just dropped the slogan. I mean, Magic the Global Game. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just you have to weigh the risk versus reward. And I do think that will remedy a lot of those issues. But I mean, that's a pretty huge undertaking too. So we'll see what happens if if this continues. Um, I mean, if the viewership drops off drastically every time it's outside of the United States or what have you, if it's broken up into each individual league, I think that will alleviate it um, and then kind of have everyone converge and then you get a really large viewership because then people kind of, you know, are prepared for it, right? Um, Sometimes, I mean, people don't even know the Pro Tour is going on that weekend, which is like, okay. The the other way is to break the Pro Tour into like a week-long tournament. So today we have to have like a massive block of like 12 hours or whatever. So there's just no good time. Whereas if you made each day like three, four hours, you could slot it in some time that is agreeable to multiple time zones. So instead of having a marathon day, you spread the whole tournament over a week or something and try to find a good time slot for for each day. I think that would be cool. The problem with doing that with Magic, though, is people getting time off is as bad as it is to say that unlike other esports most of the pros are like semi-pros if you look at the people that are going to the pro tour there's very few that don't have some sort of real job even if their real job is yeah. uh, making content but a lot of them have real real jobs where taking time off to test and then do the pro tour as it is now is already challenging if you had to get a whole week's worth of actual pro tour play on top of testing it might actually cut some people out of playing pro tours just because of the practicalities of it well i i think richard even will agree with me if if we're serious about becoming a huge esport and kind of competing on that level then the money has to be uh kind of a really big incentive and that would force them to pay them more right and kind of entice them to make magic their their job their full-time job so again it's like we'll see because it needs some time to kind of ramp up to that and they would have to be willing to you know pay the money i really like the idea of just having a permanent location building their own like esport arena because not only could you do cool things with a pro tour think of how many other cool things wizards could do if they had this permanent location set up for tournaments so i think it would give them a lot more flexibility to do sweet things and it would probably save them a lot of money in the long run and plus like where are we going this year i mean uh, albuquerque uh <laughs> richmond like is going to seattle every year really worse than going to these far off corners of the u.s it's not like those cities are a huge draw anyway so Okay, um, great recap on the Pro Tour. That was awesome. Um, let's move into, I believe we have the Hascon promos that were revealed. Uh, they will be, I believe, $30 at the venue, and then they will be sold individually on the Hasbro site, kind of like the San Diego Comic-Con promos. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, actually, I don't know if we you know, kind of formally told people again um, I, I, I saw a tweet uh, over the weekend, Seth. I think people were kind of asking. Uh, the San Diego Comic-Con uh, box set is actually set to release on August 14th, and it's usually around 10, 11 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. It will be on the website. All right. Good to know. Let's get into Hascon yes. promos. So uh, we saw the three cards. So first up, Sword of Dungeons & Dragons, three mana, artifact equipment, 
Equipped creature gets plus two plus two and has protection from rogues and from clerics. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create a 4-4 gold dragon creature token with flying and roll a d20. If you roll a 20, repeat this process. Equip two. Uh, second card, we have Nerf War. Three blue and a red sorcery. Fire a Nerf Blaster until empty at target library from at least two meters away. For each card knocked off of that library, put it into its owner's graveyard, and Nerf War deals half damage to that player. Uh, brackets, foam darts only. Uh Last card, Grimlock, Dinobot, Leader, 1 red, green, white, legendary artifact creature, Autobot. Dinosaurs, vehicles, and other Transformers creatures you control get plus 2, plus 0. Pay to convert a Transformers toy you own to its other mode. Grimlock, Dinobot, Leader becomes Grimlock, Ferocious King. It's a flip card. So Grimlock, Ferocious King. Let me pull it up. Uh, eight eight trample, and basically you pay to to uh convert a transformer toy you own to flip it back to the other side. So those are our three promos. No, yeah, My I... Little Pony. <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently Nerf Dungeons and Dragons and Transformers, right on theme for Magic players. Yes, I for one love sort of Dungeons and Dragons. I, I thought it was great. Um, again, <laughs> I kind of just wish, I mean, there's, there's cards for everyone, right? And I'm sure there's a portion of the player base that will love this. I, I just really wish you could use the cards. I mean, these are so awesome and it's just so unfortunate. It's like, I can't even use them in a EDH deck or commander deck because I, again, to me, I love sword of Dungeons and Dragons. It's like super cool. Love the art. It's on point with Dungeons and Dragons, makes little cool little jokes about it. And all three of the cards are really fun. It's just, what am I, I don't know what to do with them. I believe that one's also going to be in the unset, yes. they said as yeah, well. They did so say that. if you miss out on the promos, you can get one of those. I mean, I'm not the audience for these cards. They're they're not my thing. I know some people, judging from the reactions on social media, really like them and want them, and that's awesome. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with them. I think they're well done for what they are for the most part. So, eh. The only thing I was curious about was meters. It seems odd, like Chaos Orb is in feet and... <laughs> I uh, how far away am I supposed to stand when I'm shooting my Nerf gun? I don't, I'm an American. Oh, I don't know what a meter American, is. Seth. Come on, two meters. <laughs> By the way, this card is like, how can you knock a card off a library with like a Nerf dart? This seems pretty hard to use. So if you miss this, there is actually a playtest video of them at Wizards making sure this card would work, and it's them shooting their Nerf Blasters at people's libraries. So I saw it on Twitter, so if you've missed that, it's it does work. It's proven by the playtest team. Well, nice. I'm going to be playing, you know, triple-sleeved, hard-sleeved EDH deck. <laughs> <laughs> Nerf War-proof my deck. But yeah, these cards are pretty sweet. I mean, they're, they're silver-bordered, obviously, so you're not going to see them at a sanctioned tournament, so casual kitchen table play casual commander and whatnot but i i was hoping for something more off the wall these seem pretty standard like my little pony monopoly uh maybe some more puns but they they're they're almost like serious cards you can just like literally like grimlock you can probably play in like a real deck and like just have it be perfectly normal (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think, like, for 30 bucks, if you're already at the venue, this is absolutely a great buy. I think it's a good deal, and just for the collectability, and, and you're right, I mean, they're fun, and I think they are overall well done. Probably could have been pushed it a little further, but, you know, and if people are excited, I'm, I'm happy for them. And I would urge you, if you're already at the venue, to, to grab these, because that's a pretty good price, um, regardless of anything else. All right, so that leads us to, um, it, it kind of feels like every Commander 2017 list, uh, or deck rather, has been leaked thus far, so we'll just continue right along with that. Uh, if you don't like leaks, or this leaks is, you know, you don't want to kind of listen to this part, um, it is a leak, so... I mean, is yeah. it really a leak, though? It's like is published it? in yeah, a magazine. It's like kind of, I don't know. I don't think that's. I, I don't think it could be a leak if it's in a magazine. Yeah, sure. Okay. Like, yeah. The GameStop or what? What? It was GameStop, right? I believe no, it was like GameStop or something like that for the other one. So, all right, it's not technically a leak then. What? But, a, well, regardless, uh, the last, <laughs> the last precon is Grixis Wizards. Uh, that is the theme uh, of the tribe, and I believe the other colors were given. So it's five color dragons, Mardu vampires. And green, white cats, and then we have Grixis wizards. Uh, we don't have any of the cards, though. We just know that it's wizards and Grixis. I think that's a cool choice. I like wizards. I think wizards is a fun tribe. Yeah, wisdom is for wizards, so. You know. <laughs> I don't like wizards. <laughs> wizards is like humans or something. It's one of those types that's on like every card. Ally, <coughs> sorry, allies, wizards, humans, like they're on like every single card. So I'm not a fan of wizards, but yeah, but it is what it they, is. You're right. I, I think they, I, it's, it's just obscure enough not to be like, oh, but it kind of is. Cause I like really would have liked like tree folk or something crazy. Maybe even tree folks, not that crazy, but um, but I, I think Wizards is fine. It's been a while since we've really seen like some Wizards. Uh, I think Onslaught Block was like the last time we saw a lot of them at once. So it's been some time. I know we saw some in like Magic Origins, but that doesn't really count. So when does Commander come <laughs> out? It's August, end of August, right? August twenty fifth. Yeah. yeah. So not so we have we a should, couple weeks. So I mean we should officially have previews soon. Yep. Like yeah. maybe not next week but the week after cuz I think it's just one week so. That sounds right. Uh but yeah, it was uh, that that also was a very it was a kind of a joke. We always played with this back when I used to play D&D. Uh, we had this one of our players just like kept making wizards and just kept adding to the wisdom stat. I just kept saying wisdom is for wizards, but it's like you you build intellect. I don't know. Was, I thought it was always funny, so it's just something I've always said. Uh, yeah, so I'm good with wizards. All right, uh, fish mail? Or, yeah, we covered everything else. Yep. We have a lot of fish mail this week, so uh, if you have questions, send them in to MTG Goldfish on Twitter with the hashtag MTGFishMail. Uh, we'll try to blaze through these questions this week. Uh, first question, uh, Yakov projection, maybe? Uh, two questions for Safford Olive. One, did you compose the music for the podcast? Two, which magic characters would you jam with? Uh, so no, I did not compose the podcast music. And 
I probably got to go Tezzeret, Master of Metal. That's, that's kind of the most musical of the Magic characters. Oh, what was that on Reddit? Like, with every set release, someone made, like, all the gods into, like, a rock band or something? Do you guys remember this? <laughs> yes. I don't know if I saw that. Uh, uh, one of them that stuck out uh, was, like, Mogus, because it was, like, a huge guitar. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, next question from Bruno Alzuwire. I feel like deck building and MDG in general improve my budgeting and spending skills. Thoughts on that? Have your real life finances improved since playing Magic? I think it does to some degree. <laughs> I mean, when you have to, when you put restrictions on your budget for a deck. I mean, it's kind of like almost the same thing. You put budget restrictions on your life, man. <laughs> Magic forces you to budget because you need that money to spend on your cards. I think that's why it's improving. Uh, Next question. KSV Cop, for the love of God, why is there no playmat with zombie scoops? I need so much. Richard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We we never made playmats for the first series of tokens. Maybe we'll we'll do that uh, if there's a lot of demand. So if you want to see the the original four tokens in playmat form, uh, leave a comment poll you gotta just it just all comes down to the polls uh next question lol gold steel anyway you can add a function to a deckless page that sorts them by price uh sure that's something we can do i'll i'll, I'll add that to the uh, feature list uh next question markness bomb why hasn't there been any moto flashback drafts it's one of my favorite things about moto uh, they always go down when a new set releases, and they are doing slightly less this year anyway because they have the flashback gauntlets of constructed decks, but they will be returning soon as we're moving out of the Hour of Devastation release period. So we'll get more flashbacks uh, over the course of August, I believe. Okay, Net Brian T. Seth has mentioned in passing he thinks Eldrazi Temple should be banned in modern. Do you guys agree? Mm. I don't know, I get really salty when my opponent goes turn one, temple, turn two, temple, thought not seer. And like, that does, must that be nice, must be nice. But they don't always do that. And then it's just otherwise kind of a normal card. But I don't know, it just leads to swingy high variance matches. But other than that, I think it's fine. I think Ive Ugin was the correct choice. I, I would definitely not leave Ive Ugin in the format and take out Temple. If one had to go, Ugin was the correct choice. Uh, next question. Dan Yellow Blue. Seth, I was wondering how many tickets you spend between the releases of two new sets. Uh, jeez. I don't really know. Most of my tickets these days go to losing matches for Against the Odds in other series because I'm super lucky that I can borrow cards now, so I don't actually have to buy all the new cards for the next we plan videos all right next question tobias kane's thoughts on specking on casual cards like vampire nocturnus for when commander hits and everyone wants to build vampires that is not a bad choice um it may not happen right away but it always tends to happen that once we see the deck list and the new cards uh it's like almost always a surprise that some of these older vampires or any tribal card for that matter. I mean, every single e- for the last maybe three EDH, um, the commander precons rather, it, it kind of has made little ripple effects in other cards. So, uh, especially something like Vampire Nocturnus and kind of an old mythic now um, is certainly something that you should probably grab now before everyone starts seeing all these cool vampires. Uh, big fan of buying casual cards. I think that's like 
one of the best things in yeah. the whole MTG market right now as far as uh, actually coming out ahead. Just be warned with Nocturnus in specific, it was a, I believe, a pre-release promo. So there's a lot of supply of that in specific. But I like the idea behind it of buying things for the tribes of the various Commander releases. All right. SS. do you think archetypes like Mono Red having so much late game reach is the reason they are problematic? I don't know about this assertion that they're problematic already. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty uh, soon. It, this was actually posted uh, before the Pro Tour. Oh, wow. This was the 20, um, 28th, so in the middle of the Pro Tour, I guess. Well, I mean, the thing is, I don't really think they become problematic. They become like what they really should be because without that reach, they're, they're I mean, non-existent. We've seen that. Uh, next question from Streakist. Seth, if you got a special invite to the Pro Tour, would you bring the jank? Would you have a hard time playing in paper again? Uh, yes, I would definitely try to bring something spicy. If I went to this last Pro Tour, I probably would have brought a Panharmonicon deck, which hopefully qualifies as jank. And uh, I don't think I'd have a hard time playing in paper. It's kind of the same as Magic Online. Maybe my shuffling skills would be a bit rusty, but other than that... When's the last time you played in paper? I've played a couple of casual games. I've actually been teaching uh, my little brother how to play, so I've played some casual games like that, but as far as playing real games in paper, oh goodness, five years oh, wow. maybe? Like a long time since I've really played a competitive tournament. Yeah, just don't miss those triggers. That's the biggest difference on paper and moto. Moto, you cannot forget triggers. And you don't need to shuffle. Uh, Man, playing modern in paper is rough. <laughs> uh, Miguel uh, Izamat Chaz when would the best time to buy BFZ walkers for my super friends EDH deck I can wait if it BFC, means saving money yeah I mean at this point rotation's right around the corner but um, Obnixilis is fairly inexpensive already there was a dual deck printing Koira Master of Depths is also very inexpensive uh, so I mean, they're, I, I just think they're at a price point where they can't go much lower just because they're already so inexpensive. I believe Koira's like 2 bucks or something like that, which is like absurdly low, even for a Planeswalker. Um, whether you want to wait uh, a little bit more, uh, I, I don't think you'll end up saving that much more, so you could just grab the BFC Walkers now. Uh, Gideon, on the other hand, you might want to wait uh, for a rotation. All right, Beer of Nihilia. Seth, having played with Bantu's Last Reckoning, do the benefits outweigh the negatives? Is it modern playable? Uh, still not a fan of Bantu's Last Reckoning. I'm not going to say it's completely unplayable, but if I have the choice of playing Damnation or Anger of the Gods or pretty much anything else, I'm going to go with that over Bantu's Last Reckoning. All right, next question. Ushi Kun wins. Love the cast and other content. Is Raised Dead just too slow for standard now since I'm not seeing it anywhere? Is Raised Dead in standard? I don't know. What, what, what is that? What that, is would, that would explain what it. Is Raised isn't, Dead? That the one, isn't that the one mana black That's, uh, return of creature like graveyard hand? It's reanimate, no? Oh, it is, maybe it is reanimate. What's. It's just like a reanimate, but it goes to your hand. Just return a creature from graveyard to your hand uh -huh. for one mana. Oh, wait, why? Is reanimate, right? No, no, Re reanimate is you just put it into play and lose life to its power. Raise dead is you basically put it from your graveyard in your hand. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a good card. <laughs> Was yeah. this ever standard playable? No, I don't think so. The only good reanimation targets 
put the cards into play. I mean, we we go back. Um, man, we had what was it? The the flashback one in the original Innistrad. Ah, uh, oh, can't remember now. The, the flashback with white and black. Un- Unburial rights. Yeah. Unburial rights, and then even further beyond that, we had like Solar Flare during the Ravnica days. But I can't remember what the reanimation spell was. Solar Flare was uh, Unburial rights. What? Make makeshift mannequin? I don't know. No, maybe it was like zombify or something. Maybe it was something silly like that, but I can't remember now. If someone else remembers, uh, please tell me. I should know this, but I, I, I really am drawing a blank here. Yeah. The other thing is Raised Dead is Welcome Deck, and about 95% of Magic players don't realize that Welcome Decks are legal and standard, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're going to go through all that effort to put a creature in your graveyard... You probably want to bring it into play as opposed to your hand. Uh, next question. Asen Bureaucrat, do you think the new Eldrazi Titans will get cheaper after rotation in paper? A, a little bit, but not by much. Um, I Emrakul, mean, Ulamog yeah, is Ulamog, Will. Yeah. Emrakul already dropped off pretty significantly. Kozilek's only like a few bucks. Um, so one out of the three of them is already pretty expen- inexpensive. Has nowhere to go from up. Or, but up, like, just because it's so inexpensive uh, after rotation. Uh, and Emrakul probably will get a little bit cheaper and then start increasing, and then Ulamog will probably decrease and then start increasing again uh, over time. So uh, they will d- dip, but not by much, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think Ulamog's a big one just because it's standard demand, but yeah, uh, the other one's not so much. All right, next question. Also from Ace and Burrowcrat. A few years ago, you weren't too high on EDH. How has Commander Clash changed your view on EDH and Magic in general? I think that's for you. I don't Seth. think it. <laughs> okay, I don't think it's changed my view. I don't think it's changed my view on Magic in general, but I've definitely gotten a bigger appreciation for how much fun casual multiplayer games can be. So I, I've definitely changed my opinion on the format, and I don't really like it competitively. I don't, I'm don't. i not a big fan of, like, competitive commander, but it's just a... It reminds me of when I first started playing Magic, and it was just, like, a bunch of friends hanging out, playing some Magic, doing, you know, just a fun evening with your friends, and that's, that's what I really appreciate about Commander Clash. It's kind of almost nostalgic in some ways, back to when you weren't concerned about winning tournaments or prizes or any of that stuff it's just kind of like i don't know very very uh classic homey style magic that's ludicrous seth playing magic for fun (laughs) like what is this (laughs) uh next question from geo angel will enemy colored decks be viable after rotation with only one set of duels and ether hubs um almost positive you'll get another set of duels (laughs) yeah hard to hard to know but We'll see. I mean, I think uh, they next question, will be... Tim, what objective data could be on screen during coverage? Onboard power, mana, cards in hand, uh, e.g. more NFL stats. Yeah, short of the advantage bar, I think everything else is pretty successful, but I think there, this, this question's great. I, there has to be something that can either make the advantage bar better based on other, like, you know, variance like the other like i guess points in the game like i don't know maybe they show that better or just replace it entirely for something else yeah i'd have to think about it i don't have any brilliant ideas i i will say that 
the advantage bar still leaves a bit to be desired. So if they're going to try to add more things to the screen, they really got to be able to do it right. I just want the cards. You know, whenever some card is happening, you know, doing something useful, like flash it up. The the card they have today is kind of delayed and they don't always show what's relevant. So just knowing what the cards do, because especially with Pro Tour, uh, the, all the cards are new. So you don't know what they are based off their names. Uh, next question, Qmongus. I've been sitting on a Modern Masters 2017 Scalding Tarn. Will Pro Tour, uh, Modern Pro Tour help its price go back up? Uh, certainly couldn't hurt. Yeah, I mean, maybe. All right, next question. 69 Griggs, 420. With how oppressive Red Deck wins looks in standard, do you think it's time they reprinted Camel? Only way I see to fix standard. <laughs> it just has a protection from deserts, right? Is that, is uh, I that what it does? I, I believe so, so it doesn't yeah. do anything. You need Aura of Camel. <laughs> you need, like, Core Firewalker. No, there's a oh desert nomads has desert walk yes. that could be a good way to punish uh, the desert decks yeah from arabian nights right <laughs> oh that's <Yeah>. hilarious <laughs> that could be tech like mirror tech you just bring in your unblockables <laughs> uh next question alexander reese considering pro tour time zone issues how much larger do you think the u.s crowd is compared to eu and or japan uh we kind of I mean, discussed this earlier in the cast but go ahead seth I think that most Magic players are in the U.S. Like, I think that that's a bigger one. Also, with this Pro Tour, it was a just as miserable time zone for Europe and South America from the people that I've been talking to. So I think it really cut off a big group of the world with the time zone. All right. Thomas Corkum, what's the most valuable Magic card you guys have? Oh, um, I think it's my now. I think now it's my revised UC. <laughs> Uh yeah, I think that might be it. I don't know. I'd have to, I, I think it's that one. I don't actually know off the top of my head. Probably a random masterpiece that I've opened. I think Overgrown Tomb. I kind of just cycle through my paper cards a lot, so I don't have anything super expensive at the moment. Yeah, for me, probably Dual Lands. Uh, I did own a Foil Liliana at one point, but I traded that away, so I think that's the most expensive card, single card I've ever owned, ever. Richard! What? I needed oh. some legacy cards! <laughs> <laughs> I traded that Richard. Foil Lily for some legacy Shame. cards! <laughs> I actually opened that, too. It, it, it was uh, quite an open. Your, your original iteration of Goldfish was Liliana, yep. and you just trade the Liliana away. Yep. Ah. <sighs> Paradoxical data. Why isn't Torrential Gear Hulk called Smash Cast Smash Caster Mage? Ooh, I thought I, it was Fat Caster faster, Mage. Fat Caster Mage. I like <laughs> that one, but Smash Smash Caster Mage sounds pretty cool too. That's hard to say, man. Smash Caster Mage. Yeah, I like Fat Caster Mage, but yeah, I don't know if that will stick. <laughs> Potato five eight two zero. What are your guys' thoughts on the one mana instant tragic slip compared to fatal push as removal in modern? Got to be a specific deck like Aristocrats, I think, because you really need the morbid for it to be good. But if you consistently have morbid, it can be a very good removal spell. So before fatal push was a card, I actually played tragic slip in Jund, and it always got people. I killed an Ulamog with it once. <laughs> <laughs> It, it kills pretty much almost anything you need to kill at one mana. Like, you know, it misses out on some, you know, like, Nakatles or stuff, but, like, Bobs and stuff it kills, and it randomly lets you go, like, terminate Tragic Slip on three mana. So it's actually pretty good. But now that you have Fatal Push, you just play Fatal Push. Unless you really need to Tragic Slip in Ulamog, but, like, that doesn't come up that often. 
BM Sullivan, is it unreasonable to expect Moto opponents to respond to GG? Some will let match timeout rather than type two characters. Uh, I think most people it don't even see it. Depends on the it. context. Like a lot of times, I don't even <laughs> yeah. see the chat. Yeah, that's part of it. I usually try to respond. Sometimes I feel like I like the games where you mold a four and your opponent gets their nut draw and then they GG. Yeah, like ugh, do I really gotta say? Yeah, of course it was a good game for you, but do I really oh, have to well, say? You say GG no matter what. It's just like. It's like, do, do you yeah, not handshake someone after a paper game because you mauled the five or something? One time in my entire Magic career, someone didn't shake my hand. It was I, it was pretty awkward. I do I do always give the GG back, but I can understand the impulse in certain scenarios where it would be tempting to not GG. Maybe our viewer is doing the offensive GG <laughs> before they've won. They've like GG'd, and they're like, why, why aren't you GGing back? But yeah, I I just always say it regardless of whether it was a good game or not. Like it's just something you do. So yeah, I'm not sure. But I think a lot of times you just don't see the chat on Moto. I'm pretty sure like at least thirty percent of people don't know the chat exists. It like just pops up randomly somewhere and you never see it. <laughs> yeah, also streaming, you don't see it. There's a lot of things that can keep you from seeing the chat potentially. Uh Mr. Of Lover, should standard be F and M and Nationals format again, so pros only break modern legacy block and teams. I'm confused. Oh, oh, oh. So you only play standard at FNM and Nationals? Oh, I think the problem is Wizards need standard to sell their sets and make money. That's why we get mostly standard pro tours. So I, I think from that standpoint, it couldn't really happen. All right. Uh, down the stretch, last two questions. Does it resolve... In prep for game day, I like the Pro Tour top 8 green black list, but my meta plays a lot of team or energy. What cards are good to add? Hmm. Uh, uh, this is tough. I would have to we're, we're down to the wire here. Uh, I don't know that you would add it. Like, what would you add? More removal? Kind of. Yeah. I, like I mean, flame tendrils? I don't know. Maybe no, that like, doesn't even get anything. Yeah, it doesn't hit anything. Maybe make sure you have Planeswalker removal in your sideboard. I don't think they all do, like for Chandra's and stuff. So I, But I don't think you got to make any huge changes to play that matchup. All right, last question. Dad V Games. Pokemon player base is younger. Plain sleeves may, means no lewd artwork. I think that was ah. in response to last week's comments. Yeah. And I don't buy this whatsoever. <laughs> like, I guess... I mean, I, that makes sense. Because the player base is younger, reason. why is there lewd artwork to begin with? You could wear a lewd t-shirt if you felt like it. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just, I, I don't buy it. I mean, I do, I, I uh, this is probably the real reason, but it's just really weird to me. It's like, are you going to make people wear plain white t-shirts? You know, no caps, uh, you know, business casual attire only, no, no, no shorts, like... And also, it doesn't even say plain sleeves. If that was a concern, you could just say, we don't want any artwork on our sleeves. But they, you actually have to buy their sleeves, yeah, right? How about the rule of just, like, no lewd artwork sleeves <laughs> as opposed yeah, to that... no, no art <laughs> sleeves, right? I mean, it seems like that would work. Yeah, but strange, but it is what it is. And that is all of our fish mail this week, gentlemen. We had a lot, so if you... We didn't get to it, send it again, but we had a ton of tweets and stuff over the Pro Tour, so hopefully I dug them all out. Yeah, that was more of like like a whale (laughs) (laughs) instead of a fish. Wow, that was a lot. Great questions. Uh, It is about that time. Hope you enjoyed the cast. Um, We will be back next week. Hope you enjoyed my random 
D&D adventure, <laughs> like semi-goldfishing segment. Um, yeah, we will do this again. Great, great podcast, gentlemen. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you all next time. This is the MTG Goldfish crew signing out.